Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. You like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. Hey everybody, this is Bob Elmore. I was Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Part 2. And you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. You're listening to Moose's Monster Welcome, Horror Hounds, to another all-new episode of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose. Joining me this month is a true renaissance man who keeps finding ways to reinvent himself. Whether it's heartthrob, killer, creator, it he gets lost. He gets found. Let's uh, not waste any more time. Let's bring him out. Your friend and mine, Mr. Wesley, you're... Hey there, how are you? Good. I, I like it. I get lost, I get found. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm around. It's okay. Also, as I've gotten older, it's kind of become real. Hello, hello. Where you know where am I'm I? At? Excuse me. Is it, is it Thursday? Is it pudding day? Yes, folks. It is that kind of interview. Yeah. <laughs> so how's well, life? Yeah, well, listen. I mean, you and I have become friends. Yes. I, I, I you know, I did the show in. I did the show in Nebraska, and I tell you, and I, I, and I say this sincerely, I'm not blowing smoke. Well, it wouldn't smoke, but what's that much for it? But, uh, but the, the show in Nebraska was truly one of the most fun experiences. Kathy played my sister on Land of the Lost Holly, and I came, and we have made lifelong friends, not only with the staff, but with the other guests that were on, Guy and, and Michael and, and all these wonderful people, and they, they're becoming friends. So thank you so much for that experience because it's rare. It's it's rare that we have such a great time. Oh, and definitely. Yeah. And you know, listeners, if you tuned in last month, which I hope you did, uh, you know, he's talking about Grand Comic Fest, and you know, the last few years I've kind of helped put this show together. And one of our main goals is we're not a machine convention we're still at its core a very community ran convention and so to hear you know wesley talk about how everyone you know left as friends and you know as wesley you and i see new connections were made with like guy gilchrist and greg berg uh making that muppet babies connection after all these years that end of the day that's what it is to me is seeing those spots it's not a business. It is, it is very much a feeling. It's a passion, and you yeah. you can have passion for this. You know, anybody that puts on a show, the the work that it takes is extraordinary. And I think you know, we walk into conventions all set up, all the vendors are set up, and we walk in and we have a great time, and we leave, and we forget what it takes to get to that point to walk through that 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 door. You know, and I know Paul, your your co. Your cohort in, in, in uh, Nebraska was saying he's panicked until the doors open and the moment they walk in, he goes, mm-hmm. "Let's take a breath." So, as I say, up until doors open, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You know it. You and Kathy got stuck in Dallas. <laughs> I know. Sleep, yeah, I was there almost like forty hours or something sleeping. Uh, Sleeping on the chair as well, and the arms, you know, the chairs in Dallas, they don't go up. So yeah, yeah, that's not in my shorts because I'm in Bob Springs, and uh, I'm like, so I'm kind of like this. And Kathy, who's like my sister, uh, she watches me all the time. She protects me. 
you know, it's not often that a cast uh, becomes friends for life. We know a lot of TV casts that have uh, that sometimes won't even won't even do a show together, won't sit next to each other. Each other. But Kathy and I have become like brother, real brothers and sisters. And Phil Paley, who played Chaka, the monkey boy, and, and and the guy who played my dad, uh, Spencer Milligan, we are all truly family. I've always said that that Sid and Marty didn't just cast my TV family, but they gave me a real life family. And and it's true, we are all really, really close. So, in fact, some some shows, Kathy and I are doing the Star Trek convention coming up because Land of the Lost was actually written by the Star Trek writers. Uh, and David cast. Gerald. And cast, yes. But David Gerald was our head writer. He wrote Trouble with Triples. Walter Koenig, so if you're a Star Trek person, you know Walter Koenig is Chekhov, the original Chekhov. He created Enoch, the talking sleaze sack, which is the, the orange one of these guys. DC Fontana, Larry Niven, Spinrad. And, and so, uh, it, it is truly amazing how, how happy we are all to get together. In fact, I live in Palm Springs and Kathy just moved to Palm Springs. So we're actually, now we get to travel together and we're close by. But the Star Trek convention, Kathy and I actually share a, a room for the six days of the convention in Vegas. And we're the only show that they allow in other than Star Trek, and that's because of our connection to Star Wait, Trek. Wait, that was our an design. option? <laughs> what? Sharing a room? Hey. This one they make us pay for our room. Oh, so okay. So instead of having two rooms, we just get two big queen beds. But we've done it for the last eight years. And it's the only show where we do that, but it's it's so worth going because we love the Star Trek convention. We like all the people and we love Star Trek, so well and listeners, if you have the chance, you really do if you see Wesley or Kathy Coleman pop up on a convention near you, take take a day. Go spend half an hour and go hang out with these guys. It is if you are having a shit day, it will turn around like that. You cannot walk away from their table, Matt. It is impossible. <laughs> there, there's just so much life and energy emanating from this table that it, it really is. You, you guys really bring the party. And, you know, to your point of there's a lot of cast members, you know, a lot of child casts that don't do that. It is very refreshing to see the camaraderie and closeness between you and Kathy after, you know, after all these years. You know, I mean, yeah. you guys are yesterday. very in sync. She came over yesterday and made me lunch here. I'm sorry. She says, I'm coming over. I'm bringing you lunch. I go, okay. okay. <laughs> so uh, about 10 years ago, we, we, uh, Kathy's been doing the conventions a long time. And I didn't do them a lot because I, I I was working a lot. I had Dragon Tales on PBS, which I created, co-created, or three creators. And she said, you know what would be fun? Is what if we had a big yellow raft and everybody got in the yellow raft and we did photos? Because in the opening sequence, you know, I, I sing the theme song, I have a lot, which is Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition at the greatest earthquake ever known. High on the rapids, it struck their tiny raft. Plugs him down a thousand feet below to the land of the lost, to the land of the lost. And then Grumpy the dinosaur goes, Rrr. and so she said, why don't we bring a yellow wrap? And you know what? We got a, got a yellow wrap, got yellow life jackets, yellow oars, and we put everybody, when you come in, if you buy an autograph from us, we put you in the yellow wrap, we put a life jacket on you, we get in the wrap with you, we bring sleek stack heads. And we go, we all, I go, the count of three, I pose everybody, make sure the hands don't, don't hide anybody's face, something like that. I mean, this is a whole, this is a production number. This isn't just get in the wrap, let's take a picture. No, no, no. Your oars have to be a certain way on each side, they have to be turned a certain way, hands, all this stuff. And then on the count of three, you scream. One, two, three. So the photo is fabulous. And if you, if you go on, on like my Facebook or, or and, and look, just look, just Google it. 
you'll see some of the most amazing photographs. Oh, there's going to the be a of- picture added to the episode description because I have the one with uh, oh, good. you know us and uh, Billy, which happens to have me in my bear suit. So one of, one of the best photos that we took at the convention in Nebraska, and it's absolutely one of my favorite now. It is Batman and Darth Vader in the raft with us. It is yes. one of the best photos. But I posted recently because and every celebrity when they come to these shows, they think we're nuts, first of all. And they hear us scream in and singing the theme song. And the first day, they're like, oh. The second day, they're going, can we get a picture in a raft with you guys? <laughs> yeah. So... I just posted like Lonnie Anderson. Um, I had uh, Dawn Wells obviously before she passed, and uh, gosh, who else? Oh, uh, we had Melissa Gilbert, Mindy Cohen. We had the Brady Bunch. We had uh, oh my god, every I mean it's it's crazy. Sam Jones, uh, Flash Gordon, uh, uh, John Schneider, Dukes of Hazard. You know, I mean it, it is it's it's so much fun the photos with the celebrities. And we, Patrick Wayne, um, John Wayne's son, he was in a convention. He wanted nothing to do with his first day. The second day, he got in the raft and took a photo. He wanted one. The third day, he came to came to him. Hey, hey, I need more photos. I, need, I posted them online. Everybody likes these photos. Can I have more photos? And in the raft. But it's so we decided. We decided a long time ago is that if we're all going to be there together. Let's create an experience rather than just a photo because you know what? There's enough of these photos. Hey, you know, yeah. who cares? So we said, let's, we're all there. And it, believe me, it's a lot of work to, to haul that raft, the oars, and the life jackets, and all the props that we, we bring. And, um, but it creates a moment where we get to share because you, you know, if you told me that we we're going to put a yellow raft on the floor and people were going to get in on the floor with us. And these photos would be amazing. I, I would say you're crazy. But Kathy was right. And it creates so much joy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, in, fact, in fact, Christopher Knight, we did a thing called a Croft Con for Sid Marty Croft uh, last year up at the Arenda Historic Theater out, outside of Oakland, California. And Chris Knight was there because the Cross produced the Brady Bunch Hour. Chris, Chris gets in with Kathy and I and his wife, and we're going over the waterfall <laughs> screaming. And she, his wife comes up to me and goes, listen, listen, look at this photo. This is going to be our Christmas card this year. It's a great card. Oh, man. It's probably going to be Doug's Christmas card as well. And listeners, that's our show director for Grand Comic Fest is Doug Holmes. He, he's another yeah, one of those where he's yeah. like, yeah, his dad. His dad. How old is his dad? His his parents are in their nineties. They got in the raft yeah. for the photo. It's it's crazy. You meet them, you would and not what? think that they're in their nineties. No, they're and they're driving everybody around, they're mm-hmm. picking up people at the airport and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, they were such. I gotta tell you, one. I mean, I, I know I, I I've said it, but. It's truly one of the kindest group of people putting that the show on, and and the people that they put together as performers and artists and vendors, it was just it was like a huge family. I mean, I think the one night Kathy and a whole bunch of people. I stayed up till ten because I'm old. But Kathy stayed. I think everybody stayed until two in the morning, and yep. nobody wanted to go to bed. All the all the uh, the, the, the 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 animators and the actors and everybody were talking. Yeah, we, and, we were uh, out there till two o'clock in the morning that Sunday night. Yeah. And we're just and we telling stories. Yeah. And that's a sign. Listen, it's a sign that any of us, we, we go to a party, you know, we throw a party. If people want to stay, you know that it's a great party. And if people want to stay until 2 in the morning, you know, especially when they're working the next morning and doing all the stuff that you have to do, uh, you know you know that you're at a great convention. Yeah, I mean, so, you figure we all had to travel on Monday. And here we are. It's Sunday night. We're up till 2 o'clock Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it god damn it <laughs> oh my gosh you know it's so much fun cause, and what, what, what sometimes is missed is that you know we're sitting on the uh, we're, we're, I mean believe me we don't take this lightly we get to sit on, on our side of the table and, and meet fans and stuff like that 
Well, we get to go to these conventions and meet our heroes. I mean, I have met people that all my life I've admired so much, including Charo recently. <laughs> I mean, I know, okay, coochie, coochie, coochie. Oh, quick story. Land of the Lost, it was the uh, rap party, I think, for the third season for the for Land of the Lost. And everybody in the world was there, Stallone, Elton John, everybody came, right? Because the show was such a hit. But Charo came and was chasing Chaka and his monkey outfit, going, Gucci, Gucci, go, all around the jungle. Oh, but, no. That, I'm telling you. That would make some good fun. footage. And Phil, yeah, Phil, Phil, Phil was 12 years old at that time. So. Ah, <laughs> uh, the 70s. We were, I, I, I remember, like, we sat next to Lou Ferrigno for, at Dragon Con for, like, four days once. And, I mean, Gil Gerard, uh, and my favorite was Felix Silla, who, who mm-hmm. recently passed away. Felix, of course, played, played Cousin It and uh, Wiki. Yep. Wiki, Wiki. And, um, well, we, you know, and Melissa Gilbert and Mindy Cohen, all these people that, you know, normally our lives wouldn't cross. But in the shows like this, I mean, suddenly we're having breakfast with them and, you know, everybody sharing stories. And I remember having breakfast with Kathy. And we're sitting there as a, a chiller. And this woman reaches over and grabs some French fry out Kathy's, Kathy's plate. And I look up and I didn't recognize the lady. But then the guy look up and, and it's Tony Dow. Leave it to Beaver just passed. Again, just yeah. passed. He looks, and I'd never met Tony. And I'd, oh, because when I was a kid, I mean, leave it to Beaver, come on. And I looked up and he goes, hey, Wesley, you still look good. I go, Tony Dow. You know, <laughs> but it's, it, you know, it, Anyway, so that's not only do we get to go and have the fun behind the table, but we also get to be we get to fan out and be fanboys and girls, you know, with our heroes, and including I think we did we did um, one of the one of the most unusual one was the guy that did Godzilla. He was the the, the Japanese guy that was in all the Godzilla suits. Mm-hmm. He passed away by the way. <laughs> this is I'm glad I'm not the only one killing people off. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> But uh, the odd people that we get to meet, you know, in all aspects of entertainment business and things like that. So, anyway, and, and Gil, uh, uh, who, did the, who, who did the Muppet Babies, and who, who was at the show, uh, I mean, Guy, I'm sorry, that Guy Gilchrist, and uh, he, he presented me with this beautiful drawing of the Muppet, of, of, of Kermit the Frog on the last day with a beautiful message and stuff. But we just became friends, and it's it's kind of hard to describe how much fun we had in Nebraska. So, <laughs> and no liquor was involved. So, <laughs> at least for end. me. On <laughs> <laughs> my end, there was almost a full bottle of Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. Oh, and you told me, you said, uh, yeah, well, there was only a little bit left. I don't know. Yeah. Right? It was like a drink left. Um, so, Wesley, you're obviously a very animated person. What were you like as a kid? And is that what got you interested in acting to begin with? Is your um, outgoing personality? Well, I think most people would say I was annoying. But <laughs> I, I, listen, I was, I was born in Louisiana. I was raised in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And my dad left when I was two. He was a professor, and I never, I saw him maybe twice before he passed away in my life, later life. So my mother went back to, to college to get a doctorate degree, and I lived with my grandmother. But I think when I was five years old, I stood on the table in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and all my family were like uh, educators, president of the college, a teacher, or whatever. And I said, I'm going to be an actor. And I think, you know, if you, if you really are sincere about it, I think it's I needed, I, I needed attention. And... My dad left, it destroyed me. I mean, I, was too, I remember him leaving, it was a horrible, horrible day. And um, and I think all of us in life are called, whatever we choose in our careers, something that feeds, hopefully feeds some desire, when you go to a doctor, you want to be, whatever, you want to drive a bus, whatever that need is to help or to do. Um, I think we're all, something, in, I think, that something in the past triggers those needs. 
And I, I think it was my dad leaving that just said, you know, and I was raised with all women in my life. There's no men. And so I just wanted to stand out, I think. And I think that's it, you know, if I'm honest with myself. No, that, that tracks. I mean, that, that, from the you know, wide array of interviews I've done, that does seem to be a uh, constant in that th- there's always that need for attention. There, there's always... You know, it, it's funny, in the movies, it's, you know, kids with uh, daddy issues become strippers. Well, in real world, they become actors. I mean, let's... My, my mom, my mom was a kind of a mess mentally. And she was amazing. And she became, she became a psychologist. I put her through law school. When she was in her 50s, she graduated top of her class. So she was a really bright, wonderful woman. But she became a therapist. She, and I think part of it was because she needed that therapy. Mm-hmm. And so it was some way for her to get insight and to give it back. So, you know, I, I you know, positive and negative. I think it, I think it's sort of, it's a sort of a yin and yang thing that we do. We do gravitate towards something, this something that we need. Now, obviously we take jobs who just need money and they, they appear, you know, I don't know many people that dreamt of being McDonald's hamburger guy, but, but it, it, it it leads to something else usually, mm-hmm. and whatever that is, I don't know. And you know, it's it's very interesting that you say that you you felt like you know you probably just needed the attention because you look at your trajectory, and you got thrown into like heartthrob status like that, so. You got the attention. And, like, I mean, there's still pictures of you walking, you know, kind of, you know, jacked out and shirtless and, you know, with the hair flowing in the wind. And... My Chippendales calendar. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so it, it's it, looking back, was there any added pressure to the, uh, you know, your heartthrob status? Or is it just like, Yep, that's me. It didn't seem, to be honest, it didn't seem real. I didn't see, I didn't see myself as that. You know, I went to New York when I was nineteen and, and started working. And I thought it'd be a stage actor because I, I never, I never saw myself in, in that. I didn't, you know, and then suddenly I've gone all magazines and magazines, magazines, Day for Our Lives, which I did for uh, about eight years. Played Mike Horton. It just never registered to me. I, ne- I never saw it. And I know that sounds weird, but it, it you know, it, I'd go to the supermarket and my face would be on a magazine cover and stuff like that. And I'd go, it, it was odd. It was just, it was odd. Or on girls' bedroom walls across America. All over. And it's, yeah. I, I'm in touch with, there's a, there's a wonderful girl, um, uh, Arianne Luongo. And I hope she's listening. And uh, obviously, so, forty some odd years ago, she arrived on the set of, of Days of Our Lives, and she was a very shy girl. Her mom was a friend of the executive producer, and she was like, um, I guess she was probably about twelve or thirteen or something like that. And she's very shy. Well, I, she'd come to the set. I would hug her, we'd do photos and stuff, and and her mom would bring her every year to be, to see me, and and she would do articles in the newspaper about how it changed her life. And I just spoke to her today again. We're friends. All these years later, her mom is gone, and but she shared with me her scrapbook of how it changed her life. You know, being with me, not and and, and it was only because of our friendship. It was, uh, and I, I'm trying not to sign. It's not about ego. It's it's really wasn't it. It's just about. Gosh, it's hard. It's hard to say without sounding like like you're full of it. Um, well, we know you're full of it. Shut up! I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have been as polite as I can be. All right, I got to know you. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> I'll let it all out. I don't care. <laughs> oh, well, well, I was going down a rabbit hole. I'm sorry, Paul, Marianne. I love you, and I will see you soon. She lives in Boston, so. Uh, <laughs> But I, I have never taken it for granted what we do and and, and the um, 
the honor that we have. I, you know, when I, uh, with Dragon Tales, I was one of the co-creators of for PBS, the animated series. And when we do shows and stuff like this, a lot of kids, especially kids on the spectrum, a lot of kids on the spectrum, because conventions are the most amazing place. It's the safest playground you can bring your kids to, to let them running around, because everybody's going to take care of them, you know, and... And, and and I have several several kids that I still I talk to on a regular basis that are on the spectrum, but they'll come up to the table and they can sing every song that was in Dragon Tales. They know every plot line, and the show was on for nine years. So um, you know, it, it, anyway, it, it's 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 a very 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 special special. You know, oh gosh, boy, I'm selling full of it, aren't I? Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you have like, the career to back it up, though. I mean, Land of the, I, part of Land of the Lost, big hit. Spawned a remake and a movie. Um, Toolbox Murders, which we'll get into in a, in a few minutes. Spawned a remake and a sequel. Uh, Dragon Tales ran regular season for nine years, syndication for a good few years after that. I mean, it was huge. So, you, you, you keep going from big project to big project. You know, it's not like you're dancing around a bunch of, you know, shit projects here. And sounding full of yourself. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to sound full of yourself, at least have the big projects to back it up. And you do. <laughs> I, I, think, well, I think what it is, is that, you know... I, I literally, I, I'm from the South. I was a little Southern kid. And it feels like a dream to me. It just, I, I look around sometimes and go, how did this happen? I mean, it wasn't, I, I, I feel so happy. I mean, and I know people, if you're listening out here and, and you're successful in your careers and you look at it's not just acting careers, it's all of our careers. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever career you're in, and if you look around, you can look around and go, I'm where I wanted to be. How could this happen? Look at look what got me here, and that's all of us, all of the journey we all make. Whatever your job or whatever your your goal is, if you can sort of stand at this moment, look around, and say, "Yeah, I I got here where I kind of wanted to be." Now we all can hope for more. We can all hope for more money, more success, whatever. But just to take inventory of this moment and to be content and have the gratitude. That's an incredible moment for all of us. This is not just about egos of, of performers and stuff like that. But um, I, 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 I find that, first of all, those are the kind of people I've always, I love in my life, is people that are happy and, and, and gracious and, and have a lot of gratitude and are so thankful for where they are and get the privilege that they have. And they, they, they earn. But, um, Life's a hustle. Never, you got to get out and you, you get out of it what you put into it. But look at yourself. I mean, Look at all the things you do besides the podcast and the work you do. Putting on a convention, for gosh sakes, it's fifth year, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's growing and growing. And I predict, and I and, and mark my words, this is going to become one of the biggest conventions because not only is it the, the is it the personnel that's so terrific, but you've got the space, that beautiful beautiful convention center area. It's really amazing, and the town is gorgeous, and and the town is very welcoming. And I think you guys have sort of gotten, uh, you know, the, the bull by its tail. And I think, I think, it, and then it's going to keep growing exponentially over the next few years. It's going to become one of the biggest conventions. And then I'll be begging you to be, Paul, can I come this year? Can I please? <laughs> I have to be at the home. Please, Paul. <laughs> oh, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I, I am curious, where did Dragon Tales come from? Dragon Tales, I had written a book called The Red Wings of Christmas, which you can still get on Amazon. And Disney had optioned it for an animated feature, and I wrote the screenplay and the songs for Disney. Um, and the book, that I, I was producing a show called Totally Hidden Video for Fox, a hidden camera show, like a, your candid camera. It was, it was a hidden camera. It was mean. And I, I got to write the episodes, a lot of them, you know, segment produce it. But I also cast myself. It was the best job I ever had. And I got, I made more money as an actor 
Because I just cast myself like I'd be a severed head being delivered to a doctor's office to be transplanted. You know, <laughs> you know, I, it was it was crazy. We 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 created a lot of nightmares for a lot of people. But I was always like the waiter, even with Mickey Dolan's. We we got Mickey Dolan's in once in Los Angeles, and we quote opened the number one new restaurant down in Santa Monica. It was a chicken restaurant, <laughs> and so Jimmy. I mean, I, I, Mickey was going to play the owner of this restaurant, and and every person and I played the waiter. A guy brought his girlfriend, or yeah, a girlfriend brought her her boyfriend in to, to eat, and everybody was an extra, including my mother. In a way, I got my mother a job. <laughs> so and Mickey Dolan, you know, suddenly when she realized that this chicken restaurant, you had to put a chicken suit on and go catch the chickens outside. There were live chickens in the back, and so people had to put chicken suit on, go catch them, and then as soon as they got a chicken. The health inspector, who was an actor, showed up and said, oh, no, you have to go. You're going to jail. You're being arrested. It's cruelty to animals. And Mickey goes to the person. He goes, hey, listen, they're going to arrest me. They're going to throw me in jail. Here's what you need to do. Tell them the chicken's a dancing, performing chicken, and we'll do a shit. <laughs> they got a live chicken. And it's Mickey Dollars. Of course they're going to do what he says. <laughs> and they're taking the chicken. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, but that's the kind of stuff we did. And anyway, the guy that, the guy that produced that, it was the executive producer, was a guy named Jim Cohen. And he moved over to Sony Pictures. And his son's favorite book was The Red Wings of Christmas. And Jim, PBS was, was offering a $16 million grant for a new show. And the, the Muppets wanted it. Sesame Street wanted it. Everybody wanted it. And so they called me in, and they had gotten some dragon drawings from a guy named Ron Rudiger, who was this amazing artist. And he used to show his drawings were at the Sawdust Art Festival in Goody Beach, California. And they were they didn't look like dragon cells. They were, they were very sophisticated, funny, funny, funny drawings. So they got the drawings, and they wanted to create a show around it. They had started on it. They got me in. And I, in three days, I wrangled it, wrote it up, and everything. And then PBS required an ex- had a separate show to be attached to Dragon Tales. So I, I had a lecture series that I would teach, I teach kids how to write a book uh, at schools. And it was called, so I wrote another show called Show and Tell Me. Anyway, by, by Monday of the next week, I think it was Monday, we won the grant. So within a week. And then some pictures, was the Sunny was there, and then the Children's Television Workshop, which was Sesame Street. And you know they they came on board to write to, to be part of the show, but that's how that's how it all happened from the Red Wings of Christmas. So, wow. Yeah. A... And the Red Wings of Christmas, it, it, yeah, CNN called it the New American Classic for Christmas. It's 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 a story of uh, it's a story of this little boy in 1850, eight year old boy washed overboard in the wooden cradle when he was a baby into the Thames River, and he's found by an old washerwoman named Tezariah, and he becomes a mudlark, and there were kids back in the day, these are real kids, that were, they would scavenge the, the, the banks of the Thames for coal and driftwood, anything to sell, to make money, and they sang. Well, one night, it's very Dickensian, it's very dark, he loses every, every deadly passes away, everything, and he's under the Tower Bridge in London, cold, freezing, eight years old, and something, a cloth falls on his head, doesn't know what it is. It's red, and he climbs, and he realizes it's a sack. And he climbs inside. It turns out it's Father Christmas's sack, which is blown, is falling off uh, from the sky from Father Christmas on trial, running for Christmas. He crawls inside and begins to tumble and fall into this infinite world, where every toy that's broken finds its way to the red wings, finds its way to the toy sack. Because when a toy is broken and not to be played with anymore. Because even a toy that's broken can be loved. But when the toy knows it's not to be played with, the heart of the toy comes out, it breaks in half, it circles the toy, lights on the back of the toy, and unfurls, and becomes these large red wings, the red wings of Christmas. And they fly every broken toy into Father Christmas's toy sack. And inside is this infinite world where every toy is repaired, modernized, whatever it takes to find a new home. So no toy is ever discarded. Every toy finds a new home. And so it's the journey of this little boy, Albert, who 
falls into this world where no no child has ever been, and what happens to him? And that's the story of Regulus of Christmas. Uh, and that's what Disney bought, and I, I wrote the songs and stuff like that. So and I remember negotiating with Disney, and they're hard negotiating, believe is uh, it was being hard nosed about something. I said, so you're, you're you're telling me that I'm going to walk into Disneyland, they're going to be singing the songs that I wrote, I'll be making no money. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> they started to laugh. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, we get it. But and, and this story has been a part of my heart. It's been now been 20 years since this book has been out, and it still has a big following. And schools, a lot of schools use it. They start reading their class. It's short. They're very short chapters. It's a chapter book. And uh, schools will use it from Thanksgiving to Christmas reading the chapter. But that's that's how I got it and why I got the kids' show was because of my writings. And what's interesting, if you, the Red Wings of Christmas, the illustrator for all you fans, you celebrity fans out there, was Rod Palillo, Horshack on Welcome Back, Connor. Huh. Remember Mr. Connor? Remember? Remember? Yeah. Uh, so Ron, I see Ron had some uh, pen and ink drawings, very detailed and very Dickensian kind of things, and they were like old English woodcuts. And I submitted his drawings to the publisher, and he got the job to uh, to to do the drawings for me. So if you get a chance, go look on. on, on yeah. So it's, and it's, and you can get it on Kindle. That's easy and. Uh, I think the hard copies may have been sold out. So, there we go. <laughs> so, I, I definitely need to pick up a copy. Have I put you to sleep yet? Have, 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 have I asleep yet? Have I talked too much? I mean, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I could do this all day. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm rambling like a banshee. I chose the coffee, you know. Was... I, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm like a cross-eyed kid here not cross-eyed starry-eyed kid here man <laughs> these you know these stories are great and you know i've said it on many episodes before that's part of why i got into podcasting to begin with is to share these stories um you know because you know tons of people you know you, you go on to a podcast or you do an interview it's well how'd you get started or what was it like on this set? And yeah, I'll, I'll hit those points. But it's the stories in between points A and B that I'm more interested in than that actual answer. You know, it's, well, how'd you get started? Well, I auditioned for a role, really. I mean, it's, when, when you boil down to it, how'd you get started? I auditioned. That's that's how I got started. Um, But the stories that you don't hear on a regular basis, unless you start looking for them or things like that. Like the story about the red rings of Christmas to me, that is a fascinating story. It's a heartfelt story. And it's, it, you know, it's like you said, the origin story for dragon tales, you know, and kind of where PBS's mind was on, okay, this show will be in good hands moving forward. You know, he has the right mindset for what we're looking for. And it was, what, nine years? So, I mean, was they were right. Well, they had, you know what, they, they got some great writers. I didn't write the episodes. Um, I created characters for most of the community characters. Like, Zach and me, he's like, wait, 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 wait. There we go. Zach mm-hmm. and Weezy from the you know, this is one of my this is my favorite creation. I, I love Zach and Weezy. Initially they were gonna be called Snarf and Booger, but PBS won Snarf and Booger. <laughs> so uh, you know, Dragon Tales was huge. I mean it was it was in every country in the world. It was there were live performances in arenas. It was it was pretty it was a pretty amazing heady experience. But I, I didn't do the day to day. I moved on to other things. Uh, but they sure did a great job with voices and the animation and things like that. And I, I understand it. And I just found out that a, a new Dragon Tales movie just came out in March. Nice. Produced, executive, directed by Jeff Cohen, who was the who was the guy that, that uh, was my executive producer, Toby Hidden, and is the uh, the main guy at, uh, at Dragon Tales. You know, I always thought Zach and Weezy were uh, bipolar. 
I mean, it's like the perfect <laughs> representation for it. Yeah, so. Maybe I'm just channeling me. <laughs> well, they, they say write what you know, so. Um, there you go. It was it was quite a trip. I, I had to redo rewrites and stuff, but I was the last rewrite I had to do. Uh, uh, Children's Television Workshop Assessment Street came in and said, "We need these rewrites. We need to change this." And I was going on a cruise, a seven day cruise, a Days of Our Lives cruise. As a celebrity from Days of Our Lives, with a bunch of the, the cast and, and some fans, and I remember I it was and the technology this was 1999, and we you know on a ship we didn't have the phones we could call in we had to go put a phone call in it was I think it was like twenty bucks a minute, and uh, and so I uh, I remember I stayed in the cabin the entire time I bought one of those little portable printers back in '99. And I sat there with the computer, and I typed and did all the rewrites where everybody was out, you know, in Mazatlan or Puerto Vallarta, you know, at, at Cedar Frog and stuff like that. And I'm trying to fax the, the new pages back to uh, Sony Pictures. And uh, it was well worth it. It was really well worth it. So. It, it, it definitely had longevity. And yeah, let's go back now to a, a character that was kind of dual personality and that's Kent in uh, the Toolbox Murders because when we first see him you would not expect him to be the killer he does not he comes across as like the supportive friend and this very well adjusted guy by the end of the movie you learn nope that's not true um how was that transition like? You know, what, what was getting into that headspace like? I was on Days of Our Lives at the time, and I got permission to go film this. And it was Cameron Mitchell and Cameron Kirby. And in fact, it's a, it's a, it started a genre. It was the number one drive-in box office uh, of, I think, 78 or 79. And Stephen King, the famous Stephen King, uh, listed Toolbox Murders as one of the top ten movies to rent for Halloween. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 you know, the, the reviewers and the heck out of it, you know. But uh, it has it has a cult following now, which is huge. So I actually saw and, you in that before seeing you in uh, Land of the Lost. Wow. So it, it was interesting because he's a pretty psychotic kid, and it was. It took me, after we filmed the thing, because I had to get into it, and it was pretty crazy. It took me about a little over a week or two to get out of that headset. I was all melancholy after the thing. I was kind of like, I, 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 when we filmed the show, I just kind of stayed in the corner, and because he was pretty upset with this guy. And Pamela Ferdinand, who played the, the, the girl, the one of the most famous actresses of all time, she's, was in, she's the most celebrated child star, I think, in the world. She did more shows back in the day. Um, she was amazing. And I got to kill, I mean, Cameron, I got to kill Cameron. I love that. And uh, I re- to tell you how, Toolbox Murder saved my life. There's an interesting, there's after something I ever thought you'd say. So, I'm, after Toolbox Murders came out, I'm roller skating at Venice Beach in California. Now, this is the, you know, this is the late 70s. And then we're talking roller skates, not rollerblades. We're talking about the four wheels, oh, yeah. right? Over the big stop. So I'm just roller skating and having fun. I just done a chips episode roller skating, and I'm skating and skating. And there's signs all over Venice Beach back then that says "Not stay here after dark, gangs." So I'm skating. I'm having the best day, and it's suddenly you know I, I kind of look around and the street lights come on. And I think, oh, geez, I was having too much fun. And there's no, and I'm in a really dark, secluded area of Venice Beach, and I look around, and I'm being surrounded by this gang of guys, and I am, I, I, they are literally circling me. They're all on roller skates. Very West Side Story. When you're a jet, uh, I, I was just thinking, it's like, how did you find the West Side Story gang? <laughs> exactly. But these were these were not guys to be messed with. These were these were pretty guys, and they were dangerous. So I am roller skating. And, and suddenly, I just, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get mugged. This is it. This is really it. 
This, I know what I'm away in the dark over here in a corner and out of piece of cement down by the beach. And this one guy, big guy, so they're literally surrounding me. And one guy comes roller skating over. He looks at me and goes, You an actor? I go, Yeah. Yeah. He goes, Who wants merch? I go, Yeah. Yeah. He goes, Me no fuck with you, man. Me no fuck with you. (laughs) (laughs) I swear. I swear this is a true story. That's awesome. These guys became my friend. I would go roller skating into this, and this gang would see me. I'm roller skating over. Hey, Weston, we're going to skate with you today. Nobody's going to bother you. And they became my friends. I hate to find out what happened with their lives afterwards because, you know, they they, they were pretty rough and and, and ragged, those guys. But they were so kind to me. Well, I'd like to think that maybe you made a positive influence on a couple of them and they turned their life around. <laughs> that, you know what, I would love, I would love to believe it. I really would. Um, so. Were you living in California the decade before when the inspiration for the movie took place? Oh, which movie? Wait, just kind of uh, a little bit. The sound. So we're... Uh, when the inspiration for Toolbox Murders, the, the actual murders took place, were you living out in California then? I think I was. We actually filmed in the valley uh, about a mile away from the actual murders happened by the apartment building that it happened in. And if you're not familiar with Toolbox Murders out there, it's it's an apartment house, an area that these girls are being slaughtered with things from the toolbox. And they each have questionable pasts and uh, and and I've been hired by my uncle to clean up his apartment house which he owns to clean up the blood and whatever to make it rentable again and that's how this all fits in but I have people come to me at the show because there's one scene where I take my best friend and well I throw gasoline on him and burn it so I you know I mean just like any, any normal high school person would do but but I remember when we filmed the film, the, the thing that so I'm in the garage with my with my friend and stuff, and he discovers what's going on, and I take gasoline, and, and I, I take these wooden matches and I start singing this song. You know, but, but what I learned was that I they were I, I got wooden I asked for wooden matches and I could flick it on my hand and light the match without striking the match. I could do it with my fingernail, and the, so the wooden match would go and just light up. And, so, I, I, and I'm throwing matches all around this guy, right? And so he does this, and then, you know, and then of course I blow him up. But but I'm saying, you know, Joey, Joey, burning bright, lit the night with fire, lighting, streaming, don't, can't, don't, don't, you know. And uh, it, 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 but then, but, but by the time I was kept practice, I was so proud of myself, I could light this match. My fingernail was breaking. I was thinking, oh, jeez, like, it was hurting, like, ow, this hurts to do. But, uh, you know, what we do as performers and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's probably my favorite scene in the movie is that garage scene. Yeah. Because just start to finish, that fire scene is just very well put together. You know, it starts out, you watch the movie, it starts out, well, I'll tell you a story, okay. Um... <laughs> uh, about the same time as Toolbox Murder came out, I was starring in a film with Valerie Bertinelli and Red Buttons and Jim Backus. It was a it's Hanna Barbera's very first live movie, not animated, called Chomps, Canine Home Protection System. I'd been a mechanical watchdog. He comes and Conrad Bain is is Valerie's uh, uh, father. Valerie's my girlfriend. I actually got her a kiss before Van Halen gave her a kiss. So hey, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so both movies are coming out about the same time. So uh, picture this. I feel like it's like Golden Girl. Sophia, picture this. Sicily, so, uh, 1922. Exactly. Los Angeles Boulevard, 1978. Okay. It's a rainy day. <laughs> this girl I was living with named Lisa, uh, everybody wanted to come and say, oh, let's go see my movies playing on the Hollywood Boulevard, one of these cheesy movie houses, right? This is one that back in the day that I think they were just just like the week before they turned into a porn house, right? <laughs> it was probably their last. <laughs> so 
I have a bunch of friends. It's a rainy day in California. Everybody's got jackets on because it's a little cold. And we're going to the afternoon show. And we go into the movie. And I think there's two other people, right? So I've got this row of about six people, seven people, friends of mine. And Toolbox Murder starts. And it's pretty graphic at the opening. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. And stuff like this. And I look down the aisle at my friends. And every one of them's got a jacket over their head, hiding hiding their face so they don't have to see it. And Lisa, sitting next to me, she goes, Wesley, I thought this was the Hanna-Barbera movie. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta kill Scooby-Doo. Uh, <laughs> they really upped their game for live action. So I, I rewatched it recently, and it's fairly tame by today's standards. But for 70s standards, I'm surprised. I mean, it, it had to float that line to almost get an X rating by the censors. Oh, I mean, absolutely. just with the nudity, yeah. nudity alone, really, and then just some of the graphic kills. I, I I would love to know what had to get cut to keep it under the X rating. You know, because yeah, it, it really does. It skirts that line beautifully. It, and it, when Cisco and Ebert, which were the movie reviewers back then, I mean, they really, they call it just disgusting. And I think if you read the review, it's actually funny. But it, it, it really, they say that this was the movie that started the slasher genre that this was sort of like the grandfather of that genre and then everything else becomes slasher, slasher, slasher. But the, the thing that I think we had, the reason that, that Stephen King likes it so much is the, the plot is really, I think, intriguing. But the performance is Pamela Burton. How do you see her performance in this movie? Mm-hmm. Conrad Bannon, the sickest can be in this movie, plays my uncle. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and I get to play with these guys. Um, it, you know, again, it's, you know, you, you see you see you see schlocky things sometimes, but the performances sometimes are so good. You know that they carry it; they really make it believable. In fact, um, in Land of the Lost, which you know is now become this cult classic, it's the performances. I mean, first of all, it was written by Star Trek writer and stuff, so the scripts are phenomenal sci-fi. But it's the performances is what it what made it NBC's number one show, not not Saturday morning show. For a while, it was NBC's number one show, mm-hmm. and it's because of the writing, the production values, but also the, the performance of Kathy's performance as a little girl, and Phil Paley's as a chaka, as the little monkey boy who's 10 years old, you know, were extraordinary. And it wasn't played for laughs, it wasn't played, it was played for real, you know, it was a drama, a serious drama. So again, it's performances that I think can separate, can take, can take a, a mediocre Script, and I'm not saying these are any other scripts at all, at all, because Levall certainly wasn't, and even Toolbox Murders. But can can had it been played for with tongue in cheek or something like that? There is a fine line of believability in shows like this. I, I think, in my opinion. Well, that, th- these these are both properties, Land of the Lost and Toolbox Murders, that easily, easily could have been played to Camp Factor. Exactly. And the fact that they didn't, I think, is why they have spawned New Age remakes and are still living on because the plot was solid. The the, the character writing was amazing. I mean, were all the... Like in Land of the Lost, were all the scripts golden? Probably not. But it lasted... You know, forever. So there was a lot to work with. Uh, it had a solid storyline, solid premise. Same thing with Toolbox Murders. Solid story, solid premise. Inspired by true events, which is an automatic hook for people. And the characters were so fucked up. 
you couldn't turn away. I mean, even the victims. And it sounds terrible to say, but even the victims had something wrong with them enough that you're just like, man, this is, this is worth watching. And yeah, like, like I said numerous times now, both of these have spawned newer remakes. I mean, uh, Toolbox Murders, I think, was remade in 2014, I think it was, somewhere somewhere earlier in the, in the early 2000s, 2010s, and then it had a sequel. You know, so it's just like, it blows my mind. This movie from 1978 that is, is very much a cult classic movie now has a new movie and a sequel. It is amazing when I do shows... Uh... Because, you know, I, I played such good good kids. Land of the Lost, mm-hmm. Days of Our Lives, uh, you know, young Dr. Michael Horton, and stuff like that. And Dragon Tales and things like that. You know, my career has been a lot of good people. And I've only done two movies where I'm the bad guy. One, Jennifer, eaten by snakes. And one uh, with Toolbox Murders. But Toolbox Murders was absolutely so much fun to do and to end terrifying at the same time. Well, and well, especially with Toolbox Murders, because you figured this was a three-channel day. You know, this is back in the day of three channels. So whenever somebody saw you on TV, it was Land of the Lost, Days of Our Lives. And yeah. then they see you on the big screen, Toolbox Murders. Talk about a departure from what they're used to seeing. And, I, and at the same time, I was doing all these game shows. I was, I was a regular on Password, on TV, Valid Ludden, and, and like Betty White and Lucille Ball, all, all these amazing performers. And, uh, you know, playing, again, a good guy. Mm-hmm. And, I say it's very, you know, this, like, family family man who's, you know, this all-around all good guy. And then this demented killer who, like I said, goes from the supporting friend to this twisted individual. Yeah. And you, you watch it unfold throughout the movie. It's it's one of the greatest uh, character developments I think I've seen on screen. I know. Wait, always to the writers, you know. The writers did a great job. Tony DiDio was producing. He played the detective, and he did the, the remake. He called me for the remake. He said, Rusty, do you happen to have a script in your attic of the original? I can't find it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, but that's the fun of being, you know, of being a performer is, is being outside your box. You know, mm-hmm. it's like getting to play something different. And I loved it. I, I, I would, in the future, I, anybody out there, I, you, you need a killer, you need a murderer, call me. You know, I would be so happy to do that because it's so much fun to play. You know, it'd be really fun. You have somebody, you know, if anyone needs a, Killer that kills with a uh, raft door, really wrapping it in a circle. <laughs> or kill with kindness. I'm saying, you know, I can. I can Come hear. here. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Die. I love you. Yeah. Oh, you're so beautiful. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well. Oh, my we could do this all day, um, but we should probably wrap it up. I'll have to have you on again. Yeah, I'm bored. I don't know about you, but I am so bored with me. <laughs> I, I've actually heard these stories before. I, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to alarm you. <laughs> I've like, lived these. I don't know what the hell you're interested in. You know, I, I, you know, before we started, I said, how long are we going to be here for? He goes, well, until we, you know, we talk to him and get bored. I'm thinking... Well, hello. Is anybody left out there? Hang up now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I say I'm definitely going to have to have you come back on because one of the things I'm one of the newer things you've been a part of that I'm interested in is I want to hear more about the uh, paranormal investigation project you worked on. So uh, I will ask you to tell people what that is. And we will schedule another time for you to come back. We'll talk about that and 
some of the other things, you know, some of the other things other than your like top three, uh, <laughs> your, your, your greatest hits that you've uh, worked on. Yeah, come on, you, what you have missed, and I really am upset. I played an oak tree when I was five years old at the grade school, okay? I mean, the fact you don't bring that up, and, you know... I was a solid oak tree, damn it. I was, and I was. So, you know, you have not done your homework. (laughs) My daughter's first role was a rock. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, thank you. Thank you so much for this. You know, it it has been, on on a personal note, it's been great to get to know you. And... You know, and, and, and hopefully to cultivate a friendship that will last a long time. But you, you are an extraordinary man. Thank you. And what I saw you do in Nebraska was first class. So thank you. And thank you. I mean, yeah, this is definitely, I, I have no interest in, uh, you know, oh, we talked, we're done. So I, I definitely plan on keeping in touch. Yeah, lose my number, will you? <laughs> just delete it. Um, yeah, are, are you, just call my peoples. Just call my people. <laughs> Where can listeners keep up to date with any projects and convention appearances you have coming out? Oh, my God. Instagram, Wesley York. Uh, Facebook, there's a couple of them. There's my personal and that stuff. Uh, and, you know, a website, WesleyYore.com. So, you know, it's I'm all over the place. It's, I love social media. One of the nicest things about social media, and I, I you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm getting up there in, 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 in age stuff like that. But I, keep, I keep up with, like, you know, I, I build websites and stuff like that. So uh, it's been one of the greatest, the greatest tools for these shows to to be able to. Who would have thought years ago? That you could contact your favorite celebrity, like I could contact, you know, like Roy Rogers back in the you know, You'd never get an opportunity to contact people that you were, you know, you know, Vera Fawcett. How, how would I ever get in touch with Vera Fawcett? But now today you actually can get contact people. And I think that's sort of the magic these shows mm-hmm. and social media. It's an extraordinary new world of fan celebrity. And I, I, I'm loving it. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, you, you figure at one point you could send letters to P.O. boxes and you might get a response. Now there's at least a 50-50 chance when you email a website that you'll actually get a response or a picture or something. You know, the, the odds are better, you know, nowadays because it's more instant. It's easier to manage. It, you don't have to leave your house. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, on your guys's end, you can be checking that stuff at like two a.m. in your underwear. Uh, well, that, first of all, I didn't know you had a camera, and that's ridiculous. I need to, to turn this thing off. I'm <laughs> Get <laughs> out really? of my house! Really, really, you knew that? Unbelievable! I just assumed everybody sits in their house at two a.m. in their underwear. <laughs> Well, I'm sitting here by shorts, so, you know, it's like... <laughs> it's not a far leap. I, I have shorts on. <laughs> Listen, longer gone are the days for Chippendale's calendars and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. The only Chippendale I can do now is... And that's it. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Uh, listeners, I will put those links in the episode description. If... And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com. Or if you just want to follow me, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Wesley, this is about exactly as I expected. It was about as fun, if not more, than I had figured. And I cannot wait to do it again. Oh, no, Moose, don't call me. And this is uh, <laughs> I didn't have a good time. <laughs> There's my sound right. And so, yeah, I'll call my people. Yeah. Oh God. Thank you, my friend. I uh, genuinely thank you so much. I had a blast, and uh, I look forward to spending more time with you. It not just by Zoom, but in person. So. Oh, absolutely. And listeners. If you happen to be in the Wyoming area in July, 
we will both be at Wyoming PopCon in July. So stop by, say hi. And Please do, yeah. Until next time, for Hounds, Ash on. This has been Moose's Monster Match. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>